Hello and welcome to episode 27 of George's Random Astronomical Object. This episode marks the one-year anniversary of my podcast. I would like to thank all 10 of my listeners for downloading the show. I don't know about other people, but my life has certainly changed a lot since I started doing this podcast. In the past year, I traveled to Hatfield for the first time in more than a decade. I watched all of season 6 of Game of Thrones, and I bought a new recycling bin for my apartment. I'm certain that other people's lives have also been as adventurous and exciting and as unusual as mine. In any case, what I do in every episode of this podcast is I first run a random number generator to select random astronomical coordinates in the sky, and I then search for an astronomical object near those coordinates and talk about what makes that object so scientifically important. So let's now run the random number generator. The coordinates from the random number generator for this episode are 11 hours, 6 minutes, 17.2 seconds right ascension, and negative 65 degrees, 30 minutes, 35 seconds declination. This points to a star named WR40 located at a distance of about 14,400 light years or about 4,400 parsecs in the constellation Carina. Interestingly, if you do a web search for WR40, you will either turn up the Polish multiple rocket launch system called the WR-40 Langusta, a radio model called the WR-40, or information on how fast wide receivers in the National Football League scouting combine are able to run the 40-yard dash. The star WR-40 seems to also be commonly called HD96548 and RCW58. The name WR-40 may be the most descriptive in the way, as the letters stand for the last names of Charles Wolfe and Georges Rayet, the two astronomers who first discovered the class of stars now known as Wolfe-Rayet stars. These stars are all known to be very massive, very hot, and very blue stars, and based on analyses of the star spectra in the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum, they appear to be blowing out extremely huge amounts of gas in the form of stellar winds. So, a Wolf-Ray star is thought to form out of a star with a mass between 10 and 25 times the mass of the Sun that initially would have been powered by the fusion of hydrogen into helium in its core. Over time, the core would run out of hydrogen and fill up with helium. While in a star like the Sun, this process could take up to 10 billion years, in a star that is 10 times more massive than the Sun, the core could fill up with helium in just a few million years. When the core of one of these massive stars fills up with helium like this, the gravitational forces are strong enough to trigger the fusion of helium into carbon. The fusion of hydrogen into helium continues in a shell around the core. 
When the helium is used up in the core, the fusion of carbon into heavier elements begins, and the fusion of helium into carbon shifts into a new shell-like layer in the star. This continues for a while until the core fills up with iron, which can't be fused to produce energy. When this happens, the star will collapse and a reverse shockwave will cause the star to explode as a supernova. But before the star becomes a supernova, it may become so hot that it blows away its outer layer of hydrogen gas, exposing the shell where helium is being fused into carbon. The hydrogen gas ends up blown away at very high speeds and the star appears abnormally bright. This point in time, before the star becomes a supernova, is when the star is classified as a Wolf-Rayet star. So, WR40 is one of these Wolf-Rayet stars. It's also one of the brighter Wolf-Rayet stars in the sky as seen from Earth. It has an apparent magnitude of around 7.7. .7. For comparison, the brightest stars in Earth's nighttime sky have magnitudes between negative 1.5 and positive 0.5, and the faintest stars that can be seen without a telescope have apparent magnitudes between 5 and 6. WR40 isn't quite visible to the naked eye, but it would be easy to see with even a small telescope, although it would be very difficult to identify which exact star in the constellation Carina is WR40, and I'm not going to try to attempt to describe how you can find it. What's really interesting about WR40 is that it is capable of firing 40 rockets in 20 seconds. No, wait, those are the web search results about the Polish multiple rocket launch system again. What's really interesting about WR40 is that its brightness looks very variable. This variability was first found during observations in the mid-1970s when astronomers were just beginning to use electronic devices instead of photographic plates for measuring the brightnesses of stars. The first people to make these types of measurements of WR40 thought that they saw the brightness of the star varying with a time period of around 4 days and 19 hours, and they interpreted this as evidence that the Wolf-Rayet star was in an eclipsing binary star system with a neutron star, and that the brightness changed when one star passed behind the other. However, subsequent observations turned up periods of variability that range from as short as one day to as long as seven days. At one point in the mid-1990s, a science paper was published saying that all of those old measurements actually gave misleading results and that the actual variability was a combination of a 12.3 day period and a 17.5 day period that could be added together to mimic all of the shorter periodic variations that people thought that they were seeing. One of these longer periods was supposed to be related to the Wolf-Rayet star eclipsing the neutron star, and the other one was supposed to be related to sunspots on one of the two stars going around at a different rate. However, by 1998, which was more than 20 years after WR40 had first been found to be variable, astronomers concluded that it and other variable Wolf-Rayet stars like it did not vary because they were in eclipsing binary star systems, but because their cores caused rather complex oscillations that affect the stellar winds from the stars. In the case of WR40, these oscillations caused variations in brightness that are slightly more likely to be around 4.5 days, although a really broad range of oscillations are possible. What I think I find so fascinating about this is that some people have been working on trying to understand this specific star for such a 
very long time. One of the first people to identify WR40 as variable was listed as one of the co-authors on a science paper about the star published just last year. Moreover, while the initial hypothesis about WR40 being in the binary star system was incorrect, some of the same astronomers that developed that initial hypothesis were willing to disprove it and replace it with a better one. I think that is really cool. So that was my description of WR40, which you should not confuse with WD40 and use as lubricant on your squeaky door hinges. The location on the Earth's surface corresponding to the position of WR40 in the sky is about 200 kilometers northeast of the Blenny Islands, which themselves are just off the coast of Antarctica. The Blenny Islands are a volcanic island chain that most people, like me, probably have never heard of. But they are the Antarctic equivalent of island chains like the Hawaiian Islands, the Azores, or the Canary Islands. The volcanoes did not form at the boundaries of two tectonic plates, but instead formed at the location of a volcanic hotspot where magma from deep within the Earth's mantle broke through the Earth's crust. The islands are uninhabited and have no vegetation, and hardly any human beings have ever set foot on the island, and I could probably spend a lot of time talking about the natural history of the islands, but I will save that for a different podcast about random geological phenomena. This part of my podcast is really just about connecting an astronomical source to a location on the Earth's surface, and I think you could at least say that the potential volcanic eruptions from the Bellini Islands bring to mind the same visuals as a Wolf Ray star blowing itself apart. The website for this podcast is www.randomastronomicalobject.com. You can visit the website to download episodes of the show, read information about the astronomical objects, view images of those astronomical objects, and send me random feedback. Also, I should add a correction at this point. In the last episode, I listed the coordinates of the IC1860 group as 2 hours, 51 minutes, 0.0 seconds right ascension, and negative 31 degrees, 7 minutes, 42 seconds declination. And those coordinates do correspond to what is given in the Simbad Astronomical Database, but the entry in Simbad is incorrect. The actual coordinates are 2 hours, 49 minutes, 33.9 seconds right ascension, and negative 31 degrees, 11 minutes, 22 seconds declination. Hopefully you were not relying on the coordinates from my podcast or the Simbad Astronomical Database to plan any X-ray space telescope observations of the IC1860 group. The audio was recorded and edited by George Bendo. The music is Immersion by Sasha Endy at www.sasha-endy.de, which is distributed by filmmusic.io under a CC 4.0 attribution license. The sound effects are from the Freesounds project at www.freesounds.org. Thanks for listening.